0: I'm thankful for, as Greg preached last week, the, um, the spiritual covering that I have in my husband um, that allows me to give you the word today. And uh, if you didn't hear the message, you want to get the podcast on that because um, that will help you to to understand the uh, just the biblical um, word on just allowing me to to speak to you today, and of course we are missing them at creation, but they'll be back tonight, and uh, so if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, and you got the, when I mentioned it earlier during worship, uh, I want you to turn to the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, at the very beginning, and that is our text today, Exodus chapter 15, and starting in verses... 24 actually let's go back and start them actually in uh, 22 of Ch- Exodus chapter 15 I'm reading from the NIV and most of the scripture today that I'll be giving you is from the NIV and it said then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water when they came to Marah They could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became sweet. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would... Drive deep into our hearts what you want for us to receive. And I just pray so much that your words only would flow from my mouth this morning. I thank you for what you've shown me, and I pray, God, that you would um, speak to hearts, as Wendy said. And we're just thanking you in advance for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. So the bitter waters of Mara, that is... Um, what the Israelites were being faced with. I hope you know the story of the the journey of the Israelites going out from the land of Egypt into their promised land. And to kind of give you a little bit of a backdrop as to where this started, I want to take you back a few, well, several pages, but only one book, back to Genesis chapter 15. So if you just go there, because this is significant, this is kind of where it all started. Genesis 15... I'm going to go from one, and then I'm going to jump to, to number seven. But in chapter 15 of Genesis, okay, we were in Exodus 15, now it's Genesis. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, these verses to follow are basically the foretelling of the not only the Israelites in their journey, but God's promise of Isaac to Abraham at that time. And... I want to have you look at, jump down to now verse, actually I'm going to even go further down um, to verse 12 instead of starting at 7. As the sun was setting, Abram, who's Abram at that time, fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Skip now down to the end of the chapter and look at verse 18 of Genesis 15. On that day, the Lord made or cut covenant, if you read the (coughs) covenant verses, made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergizzites, and Jebusites. That is a whole lot of ites. There were many, many ites on the land that God is going to give them. Now that is hugely significant. And believe it or not, it is extremely significant to you, right now, sitting here today in 2015. It really has everything to do with everything, as far as what it teaches us. God promised Abram that his descendants would be great. He was childless. He gave him Isaac, and then promised him. He said, look up in the sky, and as many stars as you can see, that's how the number of descendants that you will have. He promised that there would be a great nation of his descendants, and they would receive... A land, a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Um, there was an enemy on this land, so there was going to be some real opportunities for God to show up in a powerful way. Now, what does this mean to us? Okay, so in Exodus, we see the Israelites are beginning, the beginning of Exodus, we see the Israelites are beginning to be oppressed by these Egyptian people. They started to see that, that this people were growing strong, and so they started really clamping down on them. And even having their uh, the, you know, firstborn sons or any sons killed, and just a great story of how God raised up Moses. But this is all in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. We are, as New Testament believers, we are under the New Covenant. So I want to show you one of the key verses that will help to kind of connect why and how this applies to us. So go further now in your Bible to the book of Galatians. Okay, You have um, kind of right in the middle there of the New Testament, the book of Galatians. and And depending on how, if it's not old school and you're on an electronic device, it's way easier to find than when you had to turn pages or look in your table of contents. But Galatians is before, it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, so Galatians at the beginning there. And we're going to look at chapter 3 and look at verse 26. This is huge. You are all sons of God through faith in in Christ Jesus. This is to the Christian. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you, number 29, verse 29, significant. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we, as New Testament believers, we are the spiritual seed of Abraham. Okay, so what God promised the Israelites in the Old Testament was a very tangible, actual land. Not a metaphorical land, an actual land that they were to possess. Possess. We are the spiritual seed of Abraham, and we have a promised land. We are promised a promised land to go and possess. Now, certainly we know that our ultimate promised land is heaven, okay? But our inheritance, our rich inheritance that God has promised us, it has huge application and huge significance for right here at this time on this planet. So we're not just thinking, we don't just get our ticket to heaven, and you have heard Greg preach countless messages, you know, now with Ignition Church all the time. He's mentioning that the, the sanctification, the time here after you accept Christ, your relationship with Christ is huge. So we are to go in, and God has called us, and Ephesians 1 talks about the hope of our calling, and all of the inheritance that we have. We are to go in and possess this land. In that vein of possession, think about this. God wants to. Every time they took a step, God led them. He was leading them to their ultimate promised land. What a hope, man. With where they had come from, they were going nowhere fast. Being oppressed had no hope. And what was one of the last, pl- well, the last plague, there were many, there are ten plagues, of course, that the, uh, that God uh, put on Pharaoh and the Egyptian people because of the, the hardening of his heart. But the last plague, finally, he let them go. And it was the killing of the firstborn of every family. And the Israelites, God's people, were protected because of the blood of a lamb, the blood of a perfect lamb put on the doorpost. So think about the picture of that. They were saved out of Egypt because of the blood of the lamb. We are saved out of hell because of the blood of the lamb so there's a huge significance so God wants to give us victory everywhere we put our step every step that we take he wants to give us victory to go and possess and to begin and um, arrive at our ultimate inheritance both here and then in heaven to follow so God's people are called to possess that land and what God has given them. And John 15, as far as what this promised land... you know, This is a land flowing with milk and honey, and, and they were told, and all this was so great. And, you know, the people of Israel were such a picture of what we are. He did such great miracles. The first miracle was just getting them all out of there. It was amazing. And what they had to go through to get out. He delivered them and he saved them, so that was good. But then he began to do even more amazing, great things when we are introduced to these this uh, our text here in exodus 15 the bitter waters of mara they this was following one of the biggest miracles ever which was the parting of the red sea and some of us, even if you don't know the story from the Bible, some of you have seen the movies that have been made about Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. So we know that, but this just followed it. So you see that God showed them great things, but they still continued to struggle. They were very weak, and they needed to be reminded of how God is so great. Now, no better place, really, is this understanding of, okay, what is our inheritance? What does that mean? What, coming into our full inheritance— when we are drawing closer to God, and when we come together, it is it, it, it looks much like what John 15 explains. So let's go to John 15 because this is you guys know this. Some of you are very familiar with this chapter. Uh, certainly, as many messages have been preached on this. But I want to. This is the one of the best pictures of what it is that we're to possess. What does this mean? What, what's what is in it for us? If if we're where's the, where's the milk and the honey, if you, so to speak? Okay, that we're supposed to get. Okay think about it these people were enslaved and they were now told that they were going to get this land that was just dripping with provision and and wonderful blessings of God so our significance is this in John chapter 15 and this is the book of John so Matthew Mark Luke and John okay the fourth book of the New Testament look at verse 1 I am the true vine and my father is the gardener okay so this is right away he's giving you Jesus is teaching here and he's teaching in a word picture. Jesus did a lot of that in his teaching. He used word pictures so that people could kind of relate in a real uh, understandable way. Um, look down at verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Start in verse 4 here. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can, be, can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Remember, God is saying, Jesus is saying, I am the vine. So verse 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, ye can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So in verse 9 it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then it goes on, greater love is no man this than to lay down his life for his my friends. And he says in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. And he no longer calls us servants, but friends. That is such a wonderful picture of, basically God is saying, Jesus is telling them, if you just follow me, you're going to have all of the benefits of the promised land. Because the promised land is found in me. So what is it that we're supposed to possess? One of the things that God's called us to possess, first of all, is his word. If my word remains in you, and you remain in my word, you're going to have the benefit. So we're called to possess his word. We're called to to possess God's answered prayer. He wants to give us an absolute, unending answered prayer. Just, I mean, the, the prayers that we haven't even begun to ask God for what he wants to give us. He just wants to pour out his blessings and give us answered prayer. He wants to give us his joy. Oh, the joy that we can have. He wants to give us much fruit. And, of course, if you know the fruits of the Spirit that Galatians talks about, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, all of these amazing fruits of the Spirit are for us. Those are our spiritual milk and honey. That as we enter into our promised land, our full inheritance with God, that's what he wants to give us. However... We are then now on this journey. Now, you guys know probably the story. The children of Israel, if they had not stopped, it was actually an 11-day journey. Okay, If they had just gone and, and just traveled straight from. The thing that I find interesting is when you look at the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea, Okay, what God could do in, in parting the Red Sea, what Moses did, held out his rod and his staff, and then the, the, the waves parted. That is so amazing, and, and it does make for great television, which is why they've, they've made movies about it. But when you think about that, why do a miracle like that? Why not have the great miracle just be the getting the people out and planting them in their promised land? You know, If, if you could do that great of a miracle to part the sea, then have your miracle be to just get them from A to B. He had a very specific purpose in that. God doesn't just want us to get our ticket jump to heaven. Because if that's the case, then as soon as we accept Christ, poof, we're gone. We're with him. You know, there's no reason to be here. We just the people that would be left here are people that don't have their tickets to heaven, right? He wants relationship with us. He wants to teach us something. We were created Isaiah says for his glory. So God doesn't just want us to get our ticket and to jump in there. And by the way, you don't jump from slave to conqueror without a little bit of wilderness testing, without a little bit of testing to build those spiritual muscles. So at the very least, before they started wandering, because of many issues, which we're going to mention here in a minute, they were at least traveling for 18 months. And then God allowed them to begin to wander which became their 40 years of wandering. And the first generation did not even enter into his rest because of their unbelief, which is such an important warning for us in terms of reaching where we are called. We are called to a promised land that is to be gotten to here in the sense of God's perfect will for our lives. We know we'll have the promised land of heaven. That will never change. If you've accepted Christ, if your belief is to accept Christ, you will have the promised land of heaven. But God wants something in relationship for us right now. So I'm going to mention to you two things. And, of course, Greg has mentioned several times in your bulletin, there's always a section where you can write down um, some notes. And so if you'd like to do that or write down any additional references, this is your section where you can do that. Um, you know, anything that comes to your mind, sometimes to it may be something the Holy Spirit's prompting you to write down that, hey, yeah, I need to look more into that. Or, or maybe something you're convicted of that, you know, God, help me to help me to remember to pray about this. Or someone that comes to your mind. Any kind of notes that have to do with a message that you hear, we want to have, give you that opportunity to do that. Getting to your promised land will always have challenges. Okay? It's hard. And you know what? It's supposed to be hard because that's how you build the muscle the muscle comes from resistance but God never ever leaves us or forsakes us so we're going to talk about the two what i believe are just the two main challenges the first challenge to getting to the promised land is the challenge of belief the bitter waters of mara in exodus 15 really signify their unbelief they began to grumble and complain out of fear and unbelief. They had just come. If you look back a few verses before that in chapter 15, you will see they just came from this unbelievable parting of the Red Sea miracle that was just beyond belief. But did you know they were pretty weary after leaving Egypt? You know, And God actually protected them by taking them a roundabout route rather than a direct route because the enemies that they would have had to face in the direct route would have been too much for them. So God actually not only protected them by bringing them a roundabout way, but then was also able to show his power and his glory by doing uh, the Red Sea miracle for them to get to cross over. But I'll tell you what, the, the, the biggest hindrance to us, spiritually speaking, getting to our promised land and to them getting to their promised land was the issue of, of, of their faith and their belief. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews. This is, uh, this is where we get our direct warning. Okay, This is that yellow warning sign that you come to. Hebrews chapter 3 is, um, and this is again really significant because Hebrews reminds us of this. Hebrews chapter 3, toward the end of the Bible, and starting in verse 7. And by the way, if your your Bible is divided into any kind of subtitles, you'll see that right at verse 7, it is the warning against unbelief. So again, I'm in the NIV, and it says in verse 7, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for forty years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and said their hearts are always going astray and they have not always known my ways. Skip down to verse 15. Or actually 14. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had first. Just as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He's reiterating this. Whenever you see a repeat verse like that, that's a huge emphasis. Okay, we want to really note that. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. So in verse 16, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom he w- was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell, or carcasses, some translations say, fell in the desert? And to whom God did to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed. So see verse nineteen, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now, that word bodies or carcasses is significant to show us that it didn't mean that they were That they, that that first generation all went to hell. We know that Moses is fully secure with Christ and he was not able to enter the promised land because of his disobedience. Okay? So that is a picture of not that you lose your salvation, you cannot lose your salvation, but that you, they did not physically, their bodies were not able to enter the promised land at that time. And that is referring to the fact that some Christians will have their ticket to heaven, but will, will never believe God enough to enter their full inheritance, their full rich inheritance, which is that close relationship with God of victory. The Christian that will either be lukewarm, like Greg recently preached on, or who will just kind of skate by and have defeat after defeat after defeat. And yes, boy, they're, they're going to get into heaven. But what an awakening of tears in the judgment day that they will have when they realize that they lived unto themselves they got saved, but that was all they were willing to believe God for. Oh my God, I believe you can get me out of hell, but I don't really believe you can handle all this mess. First of all, that's the absurdity of the way that the enemy tries to trick us. Because if we have enough faith to accept Jesus into our hearts, can he who delivered us out of hell not deliver us out of our problems, out of our relationships, out of the mess of the whatever we've had in our lives, whether we've made it, and we're reaping what we've sown or whether it's something that happened to us and life is just a mess is it god not big enough to handle that when he was big enough to deliver us out of the very hell itself that is what happened the israelites that was what that was what they struggled with they struggled with belief and faith that god yes you delivered us then yes you parted the sea but these waters they come now and they're they're coming into mara and they're seeing that we're thirsty Okay, hey, they traveled three days. Just show, I just have to kind of smile and laugh about that. Now, I'm not to say that if you're thirsty for three days that it's not a big deal in a desert. It is. But in relation to what they had just saw, to travel three days without water, think about it. God, you just parted the seas, but we're, we're so thirsty, we just need to go back to Egypt right now. Because you know what? There's no water here. We, 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 we just can't handle this. I mean, what God must have thought? Three days. Seriously. I just parted the seas. I might can get you a glass of water. <laughs> well, you know what? He did it in a way that I thought was so significant. So we need to look back at Exodus again. Because this is really, really significant. Go back to the text. Exodus 15. Because what, what I want you to see here is so significant. If you have highlights in your phone or if you want to actually highlight your physical Bible. In the NIV in verse 25... Of course, 24, so the people grumbled against Moses. What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Now, some translations say, showed him a tree. But he threw it into the water, or placed it in the water, and the water became sweet. You know, they got stuck at this bitter place of, we don't have what we need, God. What are you going to do? Moses we need, we, we, we're thirsty. We're dying here. I know we just saw a big miracle, but we're dying here. And what did God show him? He showed him a wood. This is such a huge, significant symbol of the cross. Think about it. When you come to a point where you're like, I can't make it beyond this point, are you stuck at the bitter waters saying, God, I just don't know about this. You know what? He makes our waters sweet through the cross. He shows us the cross. And you know what it was? It was a reminder, really. This is such a significant symbol because, again, we're to remember that if God can save us out of hell through trusting and believing in the blood of Jesus shed on his cross, can he not make our bitter waters sweet? So, what are your bitter waters? What are you struggling with today? What is a a bitter water? Maybe you are struggling with the bitter waters of a relationship, and it's just plain bitter. Now, you know, when we look at what Mara signifies, it signifies grumbling and complaining, but it also signifies unbelief. You might be the a personality type that's just the most easygoing type. No, I'm not a a grumbler or complainer. There can be, even within a disposition, a person can be naturally inclined to be somewhat of a happy person. That does not mean that there are not grumblings and complainings and bitter waters deep within the surface. Some Christians I know learn so well to put on their happy face at church Churches all across America today are filled with the happy faces of people who are covering their bitter waters with a sweet, false face. And deep down, God sees that there's really a lot of grumbling. God, I don't know why you're not there for me. I don't know why you're not changing this. I don't don't know why I have to be struggling with this. God, I mean, I I don't know that I can ever forgive this. God, why did you allow this to happen to me? I'm struggling because I don't know why you let that happen in my childhood. God, why did this happen? Why, God, why does it seem like you're forsaking me? And you know what Satan does? From Revelation 12, he is an accuser of the brethren. God, why did, why did I have to fall so bad? Why did I have to do this in my life and have that big of a mistake and have the enemy constantly remind you what you're not, what you've done, what, what you're worth? Satan is always trying to tell us things. He is the great counterfeit. He is always there trying to tell us. And our greatest fears, Sometimes are that what the enemy tells us about ourselves just might be true. And that's so scary. And we've got these bitter waters and we're stuck there and we're like, I, I can't drink. I can't, I can't drink this. This is bitter. I can't, I can't deal with this. You know, in John, the book of John, in John chapter 4 is the story of the woman of the well at the well. And Jesus is referred to there as living water. In two places we see that. John 7 as well it is, he's referred to as the living water. You know, Jesus is our living water and it is sweeter than sweet because of the cross. He has, he washes away. Remember the blood of Jesus washes away our sin when we accept Christ. And it has washed away our sin and all we have to do is accept Christ. And he is there. But we've gotta, we've gotta not get so stuck and in a place of thinking that, well, there's just nothing else. Now, if you read further in Exodus 15, you see here, and this is such a wonderful promise. After he threw the, the piece of wood into the water and the water became sweet, there, the latter part of verse 25, there the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. Verse 26. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, you will, if you pay attention to his commandments and keep all of his degrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, and this is the contrast of Mara and Elam. Elam was a place of provision, and just bountiful water. Mara was the place of the, the bitter waters. But they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs. That's significant as well. 12 springs. One spring for every one of the tribes. Amazing. And the 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. I am the Lord who heals you. Yahweh. Yahweh is the name of God that is the Lord our healer. Do you need. Yahweh God to heal something in you that is broken something that is bitter and broken and you just you feel like you know there's so many people walking around with one word that describes their life and that is broken who is the fixer of the brokenness in us it is God and I'm talking about the broken that needs healing sometimes we need a pride breaking and that's A good breaking, that's a humility, a contrite heart that is is what is needed and pleasing to the Lord is a contrite heart. And brokenness in that sense, in terms of pride, is what God requires of us. But some of us walk around and and we're just broken. And we have to be, we have to really lay it out there and say, okay, God, I need you to make my water sweet. But you know what? He's going to make them sweet through the cross and through the wood that is put into the water. And we've got to go back. Sometimes we have to go back to just the basics and say, okay, God, if you made it this, if you, if you if you use the cross to deliver me, then you can deliver me and heal me through what I'm facing right now. The second challenge, first challenge of unbelief. The second challenge is one of overcoming. Getting to our promised land is going to require... Conquest is going to require victories and battles being won. Is not that a picture of the Christian life? Our battles. We are in battles daily. And that is because God has allowed an enemy to rule the prince of the power of this air. Why did he give us uh, an enemy? Why does it have to be hard? Because of free choice. Remember, he didn't make us robots. When he gave us free choice to choose him, there's no such thing as a choice if there's not one or the other. It's not a choice if there's just one option. That's just one option. A choice is two options. And because he gave us choice, he gave us free will, we can choose to not believe, not trust, and we can choose to believe. And because of that choice, there will be battles. And there will be victories in Christ. So in this challenge of overcoming, getting to our promised land will be winning battles. Now we know Romans eight thirty seven. Oh, I hope you know this verse by heart. We are more than conquerors. Through Christ. That is your more than conquerors verse, Romans 8.37. But the battles, he gives us something to, to charge us with. Okay, He gives us so many things in scripture. Let me just give you a couple of these references. You don't have to turn there, but I would encourage you to write them down. Um, some of you know them by heart and maybe would make a note of this, but James 4.7 seven. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. James 4, 7. Resist the devil. He gives us a charge. How do you win these battles? These are some specific things that he gives us to do. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and sin not. Neither give place to the devil. Some of the enemies that are sitting on our promised land, okay, we're, we're 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 working toward this promised land, this this land flowing with milk and honey, and then there's an enemy sitting there. Because of free will, because of free choice, there's an enemy sitting in it. There's some there's some ites, okay? They may not be Jebusites, Canaanites, Raphaites, but they might be selfishites, prideites, unforgivenessites. There might be a whole lot of ites. And they need to be sitting there. Some of them are within us. Now some of them, we may say, Oh, that's my my husband I. my boss-ite. <laughs> there may be some things that are like, okay, if I get rid of these people out of my life, I could get there. But either way, there's some battles to be fought. There's some enemies there that sometimes are things even within us in the form of strongholds in our life. And the battle is to have victory over the enemy to release us from the strongholds that are in our life. One of the other ways that charges that he gives us is Romans 6, verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies. We know that verse. Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. If you re- remember what we just read in, Ephesians, or I mean, in Exodus 15, he said, if you obey my commands, if you do, this is your testing time. If you do what I've commanded you, then I will not bring upon you what I brought upon the Egyptians. It was a promise of provision. Psalm 91 goes into, oh, read the psalm. I charge the ladies to do that in the ladies' class. Read that psalm. That God has his angels have charge over us. If we abide with him, if we walk with him, if we do what is right, we are blessed for that. We are protected for that. And what these people didn't realize is that the laws that, that God gave them were for their protection. He, he knew what he was going to, to create for them because of his love for them, not the legalistic law, of course, that Jesus ended up paying for uh, replacing the law, but he, he gives us these protections for us um, to when, that when we 're obedient we will benefit from another one is first corinthians ten thirteen and this is such a great verse that we even talked about in the ladies class last week. God will help us overcome temptation that verse is there is no temptation taken us um, but such as no that 's it's it's about uh, goodness. First Corinthians ten thirteen is the um, right after. Yeah, I think that's the one. No temptation taken us. Yeah, but such is common to man. But he will make a way out. He will make a way out that if we are faced with it, we will always have the victory to get out. Now, what's great and significant about that verse is he doesn't he doesn't remove the temptation. He just gives us the victory to overcome it. Think about the Israelites. You know, I think part of where their struggle was so huge is they saw the enemy and so they equated the presence of the enemy with the power that they had to overcome it. We must never equate that. The presence of the battle before us, the presence of sin, the presence of our enemy does not need to be equated with the power to overcome it because we are more than conquerors. And guess what? In Romans, both Romans 8.11 and Ephesians 1.19, both verses tell us that the very same spirit, the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. That is huge. Because you might think, well, I just can't though. I mean, when when I'm faced with this, I mean, I see this battle before me. The fact that the battle, the fact that the enemy is present in the battle does not mean, it has no bearing on your victory to overcome it. It has nothing to do with it. And see, that's what the enemies, that's what the Israelites were faced with. They saw that, okay, well, these enemies are sitting on my Canaan land, so I can't, I mean, they're there, so what do you expect me to do? Isn't that what we do kind of in our lives? Well, that's a problem. I mean, that's like, that's a mountain. I, You know, and yet... God, in, Roman, in John 15, we just read, he wants to give us just an onslaught of answered prayer. He wants, to, he wants to have us be, that if we're obeying him, we can ask anything that we wish and he will give it to us because we're abiding. And by the way, that's the key because in the abiding, he, you will be asking exactly according to his will. And if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear it and he will give it. This is so huge. Another charge in Romans, Romans 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. And this goes to the not letting sin reign in your mortal body. The biggest deception, and where we get all mixed up, is that we become hearers of the word, James one twenty two and not doers. We, we are deceived by sin itself, because guess what, when you're in sin it's really hard to see it's really hard to surrender as soon as you're in something that caters at all to the flesh oh it is so powerful when there is something that keeps the flesh going we do not like flesh crushing things have you ever been through a situation where you're trying to do what's right you're like i just i'm trying to do what's right but man every time i try to do this it's so difficult i mean it's just killing me it's just killing me here you ever said that to yourself it's just killing me here guess what it's supposed to be killing the flesh. That's a good thing to kill. Kill that old flesh. Die to, die to yourself. Get rid of that flesh. If it's killing you, it's probably something that needs to be killed in you. Okay? God, we can be overcomers with God. The challenge of overcoming is so huge. And we all have our ites. But guess what? Every one of the ites has no... Bear. However, you bear. You may have a whole lot more... You, you're... Your ites may have a long, long list. There may be way more than even what we saw in Exodus. And you might be thinking, oh honey, you don't even know. My list is so long. My ites are, I don't know how to add an, an extra suffix onto the ites. It's just, they're just all over the place. I, I, there's no way. It doesn't matter. The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. When the Holy Spirit is living within us, nothing can stop us. Nothing can stop us. As long as we are in his power and not ours. That is what's huge. So the Israelites came to a point of crisis here. And I'm going to read this for you. And I want to challenge you if you want to look at this with me. The point of crisis that they came to was actually in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 13. The very end of that chapter. This is... Really what it boils down to, okay? This is this is it, if, if you will, in terms of, of getting into the promised land. We're a little further down in the journey now. And we're seeing what these people are up against. They are now assessing the land. And in verse 30 of Numbers chapter 13... It says, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report to the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in the wilderness? And wherefore, had God brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us... Oh, here we go again. Were it not better for us to j- return to Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain, and let us return unto Egypt. into Egypt. Isn't it interesting... If we let him, the enemy will have such great influence over us. What we just read was Caleb bringing this report. We could do this. We got this. We are well able to to overcome. But when the other people disagreed with the report, oh, how quickly. They cried immediately. There wasn't even proof of it. It was just like, oh, really? Oh, you know, like it just was. Well, then that's it. It's terrible. I mean, we've come this far. We should have died in Egypt. No, we should have just died in the wilderness. I mean, what are we? Did we come out here to become the prey? Immediately went to the negative. That is a real tendency when we're not walking in the spirit, isn't it? To just immediately react in the flesh. It's just so true. We tend to just react in the flesh. And that is why we have to be careful that we don't think... One of my famous verses I often quote, 1 Corinthians ten, twelve. Wherefore, let him that thinketh thee stand, take heed lest he fall. We may think we're in the Spirit, and we think we're good. And when we're in the world, and this is a, certainly a charge to young people, but to everybody, instead of affecting the world, we become infected by the world because of the reaction just like this. And this is the danger. If we're not in the Spirit, we're not going to have the effectiveness of Caleb, but we're going to be overcome Caleb and Joshua, but we're going to be overcome by the mass. You know, narrow is the road to God, but wide is the road to destruction. And so there's going to be a whole lot more people. It will be highly outweighed than what the truth is. There will be the masses that will say, oh, we can't do this. Oh, it's too hard. Oh, why Why? why do we get saved at all? Why did, why did we even go ahead and get into this whole church thing? You know, I mean, I know I, I asked Jesus into my heart and you're sealed when you do that. You're sealed. But some people say, oh, but this is just too hard. I mean, you know, I, I'd have been better back in my lifestyle just you know, partying, doing whatever I did, because this is just too hard. I just can't do this. And give up and miss out. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. But we need to have the courage of Joshua. So we're going to look at Joshua real quick. And this is one of our last uh, references we'll look at. But, oh, the book of Joshua, if you ever want to just be so incredibly encouraged, go to Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, another reminder of what God gave. Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 3, God is saying, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I have given to you, unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the the river Euphrates, All the land of the Hittites and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not be any man able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. God has such great and precious promises, Peter tells us, that when we are partakers thereof, we can share in the great and precious promises from God. He has given it. No one will be able to stand up against thee. If God be for us, who can be against us? We have all of these great verses that we can claim. There is nothing that needs to hinder us from going, getting to our promised land, to that rich, full inheritance, But what we do, we often see the presence of our enemies. Okay? What does Psalm 23 say? Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is a table in the presence of our enemies. A table signifies provision. Bountiful help. A, a resource, of provision right there. So even with enemies present, that doesn't mean that we're not going to have what we need. Yes, the devil is free Rome right now. But that has no bearing on where we're going. As, as an individual Christian or as a church. And so the charge is, the charge is, just go a page or two over to chapter 3 of Joshua. You're in the book of Joshua. So just go over. I say a page or slide up in your electronic device. Chapter 3. In verse Actually, you know what? Because it's only a couple of verses, I'm going to I'm going to read it from verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped there crossing before crossing over. After 3 days, the officers Went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, who are Levites, carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Of course, because it was holy. Verse 5. Hugely significant. And this is the point that we need to get to today. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. They were about to get a repeat miracle in crossing the Jordan that they got at the Red Sea, which God was going to part those waters to, which was amazing. But Joshua said, get ready, get ready, get your heart right. Get rid of the junk in your life, because tomorrow God is going to do something amazing. He is going to do it, and you're not going to want to be stuck at the bitter waters of Mara. You're not going to be be stuck there at a place where you're saying, I can't drink, I'm thirsty, I'm starving, I'm not going to make it. And guess what? If you don't let God make those bitter waters sweet, you will be stuck there, and you will faint away and not have any victory in your Christian life. We've got to go. We've got to go back to what the cross did and take that very same power and the spirit in that and apply it to the mountains that we face. But consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself. See, Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting have you said that? When was the last time you came before the Lord and you said, look, whatever is keeping me from getting to my Canaan? Now, maybe you haven't used those words, but in, in you know, line with the message of today, just come to him and say, God, if there's anything that's keeping me from coming into the full blessings, what I'm doing isn't working, quite frankly. Sometimes I think it is, but then you keep reminding me that it's just not working. I keep trying it. I keep going in my own flesh. It's like somebody continuing to climb up a mountain. They just keep sliding down. The dirt just keeps caving under them, and they just keep sliding down. They climb up again, and they just never, ever are able to overcome it. How long are you going to spin your wheels and get stuck with this bitter water, not letting God even make it sweet for you? Because you're not willing to consecrate yourself. God wants to pour out his blessing on Ignition Church, and he will. But on you, and you can be part of that. I can be part of that. What are we holding on to that is better than what God would give us? What are we afraid of? One of my life, my main life verse, 2 Timothy 1, seven. for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Um, I didn't know even until later in my life how significant that that verse was. But fears are so huge. If you've ever looked up The names of fears, the kinds of phobias and fears. It is pages and pages and pages and pages and pages long. The name of phobias. Do you know that there is a phobia that is a fear of being afraid? I mean, come on. How whacked is that? I mean, if you start to literally literally list the different phobias, there's an actual fear of being afraid. I'm afraid of being afraid. I might have that one. (laughs) You know, they're, they're just they're so long. Fear is one of the greatest tools of the enemy. What are you afraid of? If there's something that God is asking you to give over to Him today, what are you afraid of? Well, but if I give up this, I, I, I might be lonely. I might not I don't know. I this is what makes me feel good. I, I'm not sure I'm not sure I know what my life looks like if I gave this up. I, I don't I don't know how I would relax if I didn't have this. I'm not sure what I would do, I don't, I'm not sure I know who I am if I had to give this up. If I had to serve God, if I had to lay it all out there and just go all in, like Greg's recent message, what would that look like? And the theme for Ignition Church. If I really did seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then let him add all these things unto me, what would that look like? There is a fear there. God's not given us that fear. There is no fear in God's love, First John tells us. There's no fear in love so when we let that go he will completely fulfill us and bring us to his promised land you know he is there for us every step of the way just like the children of israel they had the pillar of cloud during the day and the pillar of fire at night that is called a theophany by the way that's a that's god in in a, a human or a, in a physical form in other words they had the very presence of god through cloud and through fire to lead them each step of the way that is another miracle. I mean, the miracles were just, they were just coming. And I think if you look around, if you could know what your angels have thwarted for you in your life and how God has protected you and the miracles in your own life, it would be amazing to do that. And that's why, man, there's so much to praise God for. And praise, as, as Greg even said recently, just as a direct breaking the back of the enemy. But will you believe in the power that you have Over the presence of your enemies. You're going to have the presence of the battle. The battle will rage. The the enemy will be there in whatever form. Whatever is blocking you right now is your enemy. Okay? And we have victory over that. Your enemy could be even something that is even a a personal private habit. It could be, you know, an, an emotional response. It could be a stronghold. Like I said, it could be something in you. When I learned that through this study, that was a real conviction because I thought, wow, I'm seeing external things. Oh, I could be such a good Christian if you just get rid of that one, God. <laughs> you know, get rid of that one at, at my job, or, or get rid of that family member. and make, make it so I don't have to talk to them, and then I'm, whew, I'm good to go. No. He's going to bring all those in, because what he's trying to do is purify us from the inside out. And it might take that person to bring up some of the yuck to skim off in that purifying, refining, testing time. And so some of what we need to give up is within us. And so today, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. God is going to do amazing things. He wants to bless. And you know what? The test will be the relationship itself. Because we are not we, we don't we're not a church that, that is, is what was called a health and wealth gospel. Yes, God wants to bless you. But you know what? God just wants you and wants relationship for you because of him. We need to be careful. See, God sees our heart. We seek him for his blessings, certainly. But God knows if we seek him only for his blessings. And if we do, guess what? The enemy observes that. He cannot read our minds. But he can observe that. And he can say, okay, Amanda, I see that you're serving God for the blessings. So I'm going to allow this to happen. And it's going to look like God has removed his blessing. And you're going to be like, God's not there for me. He's abandoned me. He's not what he said. He's... He's not who he says he is. He's not doing what he said he would do, and that's where he's going to get you in that temptation. Whereas, if you are making Hebrews twelve two, looking unto Jesus, the Author and Finisher of our faith, if you are looking at God and relationship to Him and a relationship with Jesus Christ, then that's never going to phase you. The blessings are just going to be icing on the cake because you're after the cake. You're after the. You're after God Himself. And so that's important because some people are all after the, oh, I heard a great message today. Boy, God wants to prosper me and not harm me, which is true. He does. But he knows our heart. He knows our heart. And when David prayed that in Psalm 139, see if there be any wicked way in me. See, God, if I'm just seeking you so that I can get something out of it. Because I just want to serve you because it is the least I can do for what you did on the cross for me. If you don't bless me one single iota, one more second here on this planet, the fact that I have heaven and that you died, you set your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, is the greatest gift ever. We deserve nothing. We don't even deserve that, but we certainly deserve nothing beyond that. And yet sometimes as Christians, we're kind of like, well, where's my blessing? You know, I need to have a blessing. Of course, our definition of blessing often is different than God's definition of blessing because He will bless us sometimes in the very stripping process. And if you've ever been through that and looked back and said, Thank you, God. Thank you for those hard times. Thank you for what you did. That's, a, that's when you know that your blessing is aligned with God's because he will take and make all things good and work them for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Consecrate yourselves. Let God take the bitter waters and make them sweet. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God. Oh God, you are such a great God. You are so amazing, God. I think of Psalm 63. Oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee. I will lift up thy name, my hands unto thy name. God, you are so worthy of our praise. We're just in awe when we look at it. Who you are, your word. Help us to stand sure on the promise of the promised land that you have for us. God, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. That as you were there with Moses, you will be there with us. As the spiritual seed of Abraham, God, help us to claim the rich, plentiful promises in your word. That we might have victory to overcome, to both believe and overcome. As we are taking each step toward our promised land, into our full inheritance with you, God. We just... What a privilege that you even offered it to us. God, help us to just surrender. Help us to just be willing to just crush our flesh that nothing would be left that you can't use so that all the fruits, all the benefits of abiding in the vine would be ours. Oh, for then we're at peace. We have joy and we have your love and nothing feels better than that. Nothing is better than that. God, we just thank you. We thank you. I pray for each and every person here, that you would just speak to their heart. And I just pray this, Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask, is there anyone here that perhaps has never even taken the first step? Maybe you're stuck in Egypt spiritually, and you've never even been delivered out of the slavery of of your sin unto Jesus at, at all. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart. If you have not made that initial first decision, if you've never said, God, I just, I know I'm a sinner. And without you, apart from you, I can do nothing. So anybody here, if you have never asked Jesus into your heart, would you just look up at me? If there's anyone here who... You know the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today. And you would say, Oh God, I I know that you are you're dealing with me in my life. Then I want to ask you today to just don't even hesitate and just pray right now that God would just take that part of your life over. Don't base it on whether you'll fail in the future. Base it on Jesus. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. He is the one that will give you the victory. He is the one through whom battles are won. Don't hesitate. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to you in any way, consecrate yourselves today. For tomorrow, the Lord is going to do wonderful things. God, I just pray for each and every person God, work in their hearts. Help us to just be wholly sold out for you. Oh, for, you've just offered the best life there is. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Jesus. And we just ask you, Jesus, to just be our way, our truth, and our life today in the sanctification part of our, sanct- of our salvation, that we might grow closer, more and more steps closer to our full inheritance of our promised land. I pray, God, that you would bring everyone back safely from creation and work and a, continue to do a mighty work in hearts there, God. And we just ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.